so <clears throat> we, uh, we are in a world that is difficult and dangerous. It's a challenging place to live, this world that we're in. Even, even when things fall in the middle of a message, it makes it challenging to continue to go on. No, I'm sorry, that's no, great. Even when times are good for a period of time, there's always the sense that trouble is just around the corner. We, we live in a world that is random and chaotic and out of control. We, we see this in relationships where we think we're really close with someone and then all of a sudden, one day, they, they do something or they say something that totally changes everything. Marriages that end in divorce and out of the blue because of a failure or of sin or because of maybe a tragedy that even happened in the family and it just caused it a rift in the relationship. We see this in our economy as a country that goes up and down and we never know from one day to the next whether our 401k is going up or going down or whether we'll have a job tomorrow or whether we'll be laid off or fired or something will happen. We see it certainly in our health as well where we don't know what tomorrow will bring and at any moment, we could start feeling sick, and not just some cold, but some really bad sick that causes us to, you know, maybe end up on in bed and unable to function, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's cancer that, that is saying, oh, here you go, this is potentially the end of your life. And we certainly have seen this year the natural disasters that strike, that just seems so random, so chaotic. And the fires that we've experienced, that what, what is going on? How, did, how does that happen? And even homes that survived and seems like they shouldn't have, or homes that, that burned that seems like they shouldn't have. We're in a world of chaos. Everything seems just random and out of control. and There's no way for us to ensure that we're going to experience the good life. We, there's nothing we can do. I mean, good people seem to suffer and, and bad people seem to prosper and it, it doesn't make any sense. We can't figure it out. There's no true way just to live and if you live this way, then your life's going to be perfect. It's going to be good. It's going to be what you had hoped it would be. So because there's no sure way to have the good life or the easy life, many in our world today have become cynical about life. We see this in a couple of different ways, but first of all, apathy. We have, we have people in our world that have become apathetic about life. They just don't really care anymore. And we see it in the marriage relationship where you know, having that intimate relationship with one person for their whole life, it's just, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal anymore. You know, it's just whatever comes at the time, that's what I'll move to. And, and, and even, 
even the young generation coming up now, less of them seem to be marrying even. You know, why do we need to, you know, put a label on it, right? Why do we need to be married? Why don't we just, you know, continue to live together? It's working. This is an apathetic perspective about marriage. Apathetic about our jobs as well. You don't really, you know, care about our jobs much. I mean, we have to work and because we got to have money. But if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't work, right? You know, we, we don't want to have to do those things. And we don't even necessarily care about uh, our, our companies that we work for being successful. I mean, we, we want to still have a job. We want to make sure that works. But, but uh, you know, beyond that, we, eh, whatever. As long as you're still making a little bit, then that's fine, right? And we can even get critical of, of uh, employers who are making, quote-unquote, too much. So we get apathetic about our jobs and don't really worry, not too worried about it. And we even get apathetic about just life and other people that we run into. And not concerned about the life of other people. Not concerned with whether they live or whether they die. Not concerned with whether I take their life because I just feel like, you know what, I'm done, so why shouldn't somebody else come with me? I mean, it's just a lack of respect and concern for life. The other side of a cynical approach to life that is not apathetic is basically careless. And it's similar to apathy, but it's it's a careless life. And and these are those who will come in and, and, and they, they want the extreme adventure. The, the adrenaline junkies, if you will. that People who are living their life on the edge and trying to do something more extreme than the last time. And, and going for it even harder and more strong or more crazy, whatever they can come up with. You know, either jumping out of planes or, 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 or rock climbing or you know, bungee jumping, whatever it may be. Anything to get that adrenaline pumping and you know, to be on the edge of life and who knows what will happen. So we're just careless with our life. The, the concept of YOLO, which is not just a city in California, which I didn't know that. Did you guys know that YOLO was a, I mean, you probably did because you're all from California, but I was like, whoa, man, there's YOLO. What's that? That's a city. What? I thought it was just, you know, you only live once. Uh, but no, it's actually a city. Anyway, so the perspective, you know, you only live once is, is this careless perspective, careless, cynical perspective of life. That I'm just going to live it to the full and do whatever, and who, you know, eventually it's going to be bad, and so I'm just going to jump on it and do, just be careless with my life and do whatever I can. Also, a cynical approach is selfishness, where we begin to just be focused on our own happiness. And, and if that comes at the expense of other people, that's fine. I, I just want to make sure that I'm happy and that we try to create this secure world around us. You know, we can't control the world, and, and so maybe we can control this, you know, little bit of space around me, that my, my home or, or my family or my, whatever it may be, my job or whatever, whatever it is that we claim onto that we feel happy when we do. What may be sad and most sad is that this cynical approach to life has actually passed over into the church as well. And there are many Christians that have this same cynical perspective. Christians have become just as apathetic about marriage, it seems. Or even Christians divorce at the same rate as those who are not Christians. Even though Scripture clearly teaches what, it, you know, what God believes about divorce. We, we just have Christians that you know, just kind of live their life you know, with this cynicism and apathy. Well, it's all right. It's not a big deal. I mean, come on. Life is going to... Who knows? I mean, maybe my partner's going to turn on me someday and leave. So, I mean, why not be the first one to hit it? You know, it's this crazy, apathetic 
perspective of marriage and apathy towards evangelism as well. Where we don't really care that much about the lost. I mean, yeah, we'll pray for them maybe. Or maybe we'll give a lot of money to missions so that you know, we feel like we've done our part. But you know, when it comes to us personally sharing the gospel message with a lost friend, yeah, that's probably too much to ask for. Because really, I mean, what does it matter? I mean, I can't control whether they say yes or no. I can't force this on them. They're, I mean, it's up to them, so why even share? I mean, Christians also get careless. Careless with the relationship with God. Again, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm going to be in heaven someday, right? Because I believe in Jesus. So I can work on my relationship then. I mean, what do I... It's not really that big a deal. I mean, I just go to church on a, every once in a while. And yeah, I'll pray. Read the Bible maybe occasionally. But, you know, I really... It's not, it's not important. Careless with grace. Take advantage of it. We as Christians also can be selfish. We just focus on ourselves and making sure that I'm comfortable. You know, many of us come to Christ, well, maybe not many of us, but some of us certainly came to Christ with the perspective that, that you know what, oh, if I, once I give my life to Christ, then my life's going to be all perfect. And, and we know that's not true, but yet we still try to live that way. And so we become a Christian and we think it's about comfort. And so we want to create this, again, illusion that our life is comfortable. And we do whatever we can to make sure that you know, nothing disrupts that, including closing off hearing the voice of the God, voice of God when he calls us out of our comfort zone. No, 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 no. God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. God wants me to be happy and comfortable. I suppose that Joseph, the eventual father of Jesus, may have felt similar perspective. Consider his story for a moment, this man who was a good Jewish man who knew the law well and knew God and was following that law and had a love of his life, a love named Mary, excited about the future that would, was before them, excited about being married to Mary. Certainly it was an arranged marriage, but he still he loved this girl already. She just, they just seemed to click really well and just enjoyed being together. He's excited about what's coming next and having a family together. And who knows what God would do with that and how they would serve God in that way. And then all of a sudden, chaos. Randomness. Out of nowhere. Maybe Mary doesn't love me. Well, obviously Mary doesn't love me as much as I thought. Because she's pregnant with someone else's child. How can this be? I, I, I felt like we were connecting. I, I felt like she was... She was in this thing with me. We were, we we're going. We're gonna be. We're gonna be good. It's gonna be. She was excited about it. But now she's got this crazy story and she's pregnant. No, this can't. What is going on? And so he considers. Well, I'm just gonna. You know, I just. I love her and I don't want to embarrass her, but I just. I just want to end the pain. And so he says, I'm gonna divorce her and just gonna do it quietly. Just. I just want to move on. I don't want to make a big scene about this. I don't want to be embarrassed any more than I already am. Let me just move on. And then an angel shows up. Out of nowhere in a dream. And, and speaks to Joseph and says, Joseph, this is not just a random event. This is not just chaos. This is purposeful. 
This is beyond your expectations. Joseph, don't give up. Continue this, this line that you're on. Just continue this path that you're walking because I am in it. This baby is not just anybody ba- anybody's baby. It's my baby. It's the Son of God who is coming. And you are going to be the father of the Messiah. <laughs> but even more than that, even more than the reality that God was cared, God cared about Joseph's life. He also cared about life in general, in generic. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What we don't understand sometimes about Jesus coming as a child, as a baby, is that it's not just that God is with us in the sense that He's in our heart, that He's with us in this life, It's not that He just comes individually and cares for us. But the fact that Jesus, the God of the universe, came and lived a life of a man means that this life that we live has value. It's not pointless. It's not meaningless. This life is not just to suffer. It's not just about suffering and pain and tragedy and chaos and randomness. That this life, even though it's chaotic, even though it seems random, it's not. For the God of the universe to step down out of heaven and allow his life to be impacted by the chaos and the out of control and randomness of this world shows us and proves to us that this life is valuable. We can have hope in this reality. That the life we are living today, no matter how painful, no matter how, how much struggle is in it, no matter how good it is, or how long that goodness lasts, the hope is in the reality that this life is meaningful, purposeful, and important. A life that we need to live and to embrace. Jesus, Jesus coming to earth as a baby gives birth to hope. We are not alone, and life is deeply valuable. It inspires us to live with joyful anticipation, loving care, and in glory to God. Although this life may be valuable, we are rebels. We recognize that maybe that, yes, there is a God, and yes, this God is a moral God, and He's got a way for us that we are designed to live, and we recognize that we don't live that way. We recognize that there's a good and there's a bad. We recognize there's a right and a wrong, and we know that too often we live in the wrong. We continue to do wrong over and over again. Even though maybe we've gotten to know the right more and more, we still do wrong. And we recognize because of that wrong behavior, that rebellious nature that we have, that we are guilty and deserve punishment. Certainly, God intercedes individually for people, but He would not intercede for me because I don't deserve that. 
I'm sinful. I mean, I'm a rebel. I've gone against his teaching over and over again in my life. And, and yeah, maybe he comes now, but there's no guarantee. I'm, I know I'm going to sin again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up again. So why? I mean, God, I don't deserve him interceding on my behalf. I don't deserve him coming and helping me out in any way. And so I'm not even going to ask. I'm filled with shame and have no expectation that God will ever do anything for me. And unfortunately, many times, Christians have the same perspective. We recognize our sin, and we dwell on our sin, and we become, we feel more and more guilty and become shamed by our sin. And then we think, well... I don't really deserve anything that God has. I don't deserve God interceding for me. And because we're so focused on our sin, we, we don't even start you don't even read the Bible anymore. We even struggle to go to church because every time we go to church we feel guilty. And every time we open the Bible, we feel guilty. And praying, uh uh-uh, that's a scary endeavor as well, because I mean, who knows what God's gonna say and He's just gonna bring out my sin again and We recognize and believe that we don't deserve his help. And we as Christians even get to a point where we don't expect any help from God. A similar perspective of the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. A man who had lived his whole life as a thief. It's a criminal. An immoral guy. Who knows what else he was involved in as well. Certainly a bad man who had sinned and rebelled against God over and over again. And this man probably knew quite well God's word and what was right and what's wrong. And here he is on the cross next to Jesus. Receiving his penalty, the due that he, he deserves. The deserved punishment for his sins. He was guilty and deserved to be punished. But Jesus died first. Jesus died first before the thief on the cross. And it changed everything for that thief. He reached out to Jesus with just a simple plea, Jesus, remember me. Because of that simple plea and the fact that Jesus died first, he's in eternity with his Lord and Savior. Mm. The interesting thing about the thief is he didn't deserve it. Right? I mean, he was on the cross suffering the just penalty for his sin. But more than that, Even after his salvation, he still had no opportunity to show that he was worthy of salvation. He died on that cross. There was no opportunity for him to go to church and show God how great a Christian he was. There was no opportunity for him to go back and study Scripture again with a salvation perspective. There was no opportunity for him to spend his life in prayer and seeking God's will and and sharing the love of God with others. He did nothing to deserve salvation before it or after it, yet he got it. 
He received it fully. Mm. Romans 5.8. Let's God word preach it. <laughs> Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sin doesn't matter anymore because of Jesus' death. He paid the price that we were meant to pay. And the thing is, is when Jesus died, He knew. When we come to Jesus on our knees for the first time and say, Lord, You are my Lord. Forgive me for my sin. Jesus knows right then when He forgives us of that sin that we are going to sin again. And yet He still died. He willingly went to the cross and paid the price that we couldn't pay. We are sinful. And we don't deserve it. But that's what grace is. Receiving what we don't deserve. Jesus loves us. Jesus willingly died for us so that we could have life. We have hope because Jesus died for us. We, we don't have to worry about our sin anymore. It's not that we don't strive for righteousness. We just did a whole series on spiritual disciplines, right? Walking the paths of righteousness, right? But we want that, but we don't have to worry about sin anymore. We are freed from that guilt. We're freed from the shame. We have received salvation. The penalty for our sin has been paid, and we can simply glorify in Jesus and what He has done for us. God accepts us just as we are because of what Jesus did. Christ's death resurrects our hope. The penalty for our sin is paid and a new destiny is offered. We merely accept this free gift and live in daily dependence on God. But despite the reality that this life is indeed valuable, and God is indeed with us in it. And despite the reality that we have received this amazing grace, this reality still remains. Death. We are all still destined to die. And that death still conjures up in us great fear. We have a fear about the end of life. Fear about the suffering that may come. Fear about the pain and, and potentially the embarrassment that comes from a long process of death. We have fear as well about what happens after we die. Many of us in America especially, but I think around the world, uh, have, have this deep desire for death to come quickly. Right? I mean, if we're going to die, may it happen like that. Right? I mean, we, most people, if you ask, you know, how do you want to go? You know, they're not like, oh, I would, I would love to go drowning. You know, I mean, that would be really fun. You know, maybe prolong it for a while. Maybe really suck, you know, my you know, wind back and forth. Oh, maybe so good having that. No, I mean, they, when they want, you ask them how they want to die, they're like, 
I want to go in my sleep. Right? The, the sense that we, we fall asleep at night and then somewhere in the, even, in the middle of the night we, we die and we wake up wherever is next or whatever is next. We don't want to be awake for death. We even have this new push in the last 15 to 20 years now of euthanasia. The idea that, you know, and that we are now kind of in control of when we're going to die. That it's not just a random thing anymore, but, you know, I can, you know, if I want to, I can set a date and say, this is the day I'm going to die. And, and understand me, I'm not making a moral judgment on euthanasia. I'm just simply saying this is our perspective of death. We, we so fear death, we so fear the, the prolonged death especially, that we want to control that. We don't want to be a burden to other people. We, we don't want to have to suffer and go through all of this pain. We don't want to have to go through the embarrassment when you know, we can't control or take care of ourselves anymore. And we don't want to have to deal with that shame that comes with that. And the reality is, is again, we as Christians have this same perspective. It's amazing how many Christians profess to still fear death. And maybe it's not about what happens after death that they fear. Maybe it's just about the suffering in death that they fear. Concerned about relying on others and concerned about the humility of it all. I would imagine that Paul probably had similar perspectives and struggles. He spent his life in pain and suffering. I mean, up until the time he became a Christian, right, until his conversion, his life was pretty good. And then, and then after that, it's, it's pretty ugly after that. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is basically where Paul just lays out his whole, you know, just pain and suffering of his life. I mean, for a whole chapter, he just about just lists all of these things of what's gone wrong. You know, all the shipwrecks he's been, and how many times he's been whipped, and, and how many times he's been in prison, and how many people that have just destroyed his name or hurt him or did whatever. I mean, it's amazing to see what he, what he endured and what he went through. He lost his name. I mean, before his conversion, he was high up in the, in the church and everybody thought well of him. And then after his conversion, all of a sudden, that's destroyed and people are going around and trying to destroy his name even further. It's, it's not known for sure, but it, it's believed that Paul probably was married before his conversion. But there's no mention of his wife in all of his missionary journeys and we think that the chance is, is that his wife didn't convert with him. And so he lost his family as well. He lost his wife. And of course, eventually he lost his life. But Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just die. He rose from the dead. Jesus defeated death. See, before Jesus' death on the cross and then resurrection, when you died, you were dead. You were done. There was nothing else from dust to dust. 
But after Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, all of a sudden, death is destroyed. Death becomes a doorway to the next you know, experience, the next tra- transition into the next life. It no longer is an end in itself. Death now has no victory. Death now has no sting, as it says, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And why do we say that? It's because Paul just got done talking about the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us. The fact that we have hope in eternity because Jesus was the first one who rose from the dead and all of those who are His will rise with Him someday at the end of day. And Paul embraced these perspectives as well. Philippians 1.21 To live is Christ. To die is gain. He recognized that he was going to suffer in life. He recognized it was not going to be easy. He even knew that his death was going to be painful. But he continued to live it as if he was Christ. He wanted to follow Christ in the life that he lived. Christ didn't live a life of luxury. He lived a life of suffering and pain, and his death was in the same kind. Paul accepted the pain of life, but he also accepted the joy of eternity. He recognized that death was gain. It wasn't the end. That when he died, it would be over. His suffering here would be done, and then he would be exalted into the eternal kingdom forever to enjoy God's presence. We have hope for today when we're facing the perspectives of death, whether it be with our loved ones, with our own life, because we know that death is not the end. We can embrace the suffering that comes even in death, knowing that it's just for a short period of time. And then we will have all of it. Realize that this life is simply a blink in the eternity in, in eternity. Just a blink. It's nothing. Even if you live 80 or 90 or 100 years, it's still just a blink compared to eternity. We can embrace the suffering that comes and the death that eventually comes in our own life, knowing that we have eternity. Jesus' resurrection fulfills our hope. We live this life with one eye on eternity, and we accept death when it comes as the doorway to eternal victory. This Christmas season, may we treasure hope. May we seek to enjoy the beauty of hope. Our world indeed is in chaos. And oftentimes the Christmas season is a time, unfortunately, that reminds us of that chaos. We're reminded of the loved ones and the friends that we've had that have passed. Perhaps even the friends that we know now or that are suffering or going through difficult times. We're reminded of those things at the holidays. It just seems for whatever reason, it comes up more. And we recognize that this world is in chaos and and it's just random and out of control. But in that 
memory of the tragedies that have come and that will come, may we also remember that no matter how difficult this life is, it is valuable. God is with us. God is here. It also seems oftentimes in the holidays we recognize more our own mistakes. Maybe it's because of family and the friends and the things that we've lost. Maybe because of a relationship instead of someone who's, who's died or passed away. We recognize our own mistakes, our own things that we did that we wish we could take back. And we feel guilt again because, oh, this relationship is destroyed because of me, because of what I did or didn't do. We can oftentimes feel at Christmas time undeserving of the hope and the fun and the love and the happiness that oftentimes comes in Christmas. And so we can barricade ourselves off from the people around us and think, oh no, I don't deserve to have fun. I don't deserve to receive their love. But remember also, not just the sin that you've committed, but also remember what Christ has done. Because grace is available and God has forgiven you. Perhaps this Christmas, you're also fearful of death. Maybe you are struggling with a health crisis, or maybe a close friend or family member is. Certainly in our church, we've got a couple of members that have cancer that are beginning that battle. So if you're fighting that fight, maybe personally or with a family member or friend, remember that no matter how it ends. We win. There's victory. There's the best is yet to come. We don't live for this life. We live in and through this life, but we don't live for this life. We live for eternity. Remind yourself that death is not the end. It's simply the doorway from this life to the next. And the next is worthy to be excited about. So treasure hope this holiday season. Even in the midst of the chaos and the trouble that comes. Even the challenges that you are experiencing right now in your life in some way. Focus on the hope. Focus on the birth of Jesus which also birthed our hope. Focus on the death of Jesus, which resurrected our hope. And focus on the resurrection of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of that hope, where we get to enjoy all our eternity with Him when He re resurrects us.